You're listening to the Forefront Church Podcast in New York City, where our vision is to see lives, neighborhoods, and our city renewed through Jesus. Good morning. As Jen said, my name is Hannah, and I have been a part of the community here at Forefront Brooklyn for almost a year. And as you might notice from my accent, I'm not actually from New York. I moved here from the UK last August with my husband, Johnny, and it's been really, really wonderful to be able to get to know all of you amazing guys and become part of this community here and part of this city. So thank you very much for inviting me to speak this morning. Before we moved here, we were living in London, and I was studying at a seminary there, and I just finished up there in June. Um, And I was also working for a church in London, being involved in leadership and speaking and stuff like that there as well. So this morning, I'm really, really excited to be able to talk to you about the Bible character of Esther, because this story that we just heard Jessica read is one of my favorite stories in the whole of the Bible. It's a story that I really love and I'm really passionate about. And this is kind of coming to the end of the series that we've been doing here, Retold, where we look at stories that we might be really familiar with from our childhood, from Sunday school, but we look at them with a bit of a different perspective, more of an adult perspective. So just a few moments ago, we asked you, what is your favorite Disney movie? And like Ben, my favorite is The Little Mermaid. I must confess that I have actually once dressed up as The Little Mermaid. Um, I'm a bit of a Disney fan, and for my bachelorette party, I actually had a Disney-themed bachelorette party where everybody had to dress as their favorite character. But why are we talking about Disney? Well, it's because the Sunday school version of Esther, so the version that you might remember from childhood, at first glance sounds a little bit like a Disney movie. It's a kind of a fairy tale story. So there's kings and queens in there. There are um, banquets and palaces. There are beautiful girls from throughout the land who compete in a beauty pageant to marry the handsome prince. Um, You have a poor orphan heroine who is raised by her kindly uncle. You have a scary bad guy with an evil plot, and eventually you get a happy ending. And in fact, one of the things that I was reading when I was preparing for this talk said that the classic fairy tale of Cinderella might actually have been inspired originally by the biblical story of Esther. So that's the kind of Sunday school Disney fairy tale version. But this morning what we're looking at is actually some of the darker realities that exist in this story. So the book of Esther describes events that took place when King Xerxes was king of the Persian Empire. Now, Xerxes ruled over 127 provinces, we are told, and that covers an area from India all the way around to what today is Yemen and Ethiopia. So that's a massive stretch of land. And at the time, he was actually the most powerful ruler in the world. And this story begins towards the beginning of King Xerxes' reign. He's only been king for three years, and he's trying to impress everyone with his power and with his wealth. And so he throws this feast for 180 days. And at the end of the six months of solid partying, eating, drinking, drinking again, he throws another banquet for seven days straight. And this one, we are told, is for all of the men in the city of Susa, where he ruled from. So from the least to the greatest, all the men are there. And they party together for seven days straight. And the Bible tells us that by the king's command, each guest 
was allowed to drink as much wine as he wanted with no restrictions. So after our 187 days of drinking and eating and drinking, the Bible tells us that King Xerxes was in high spirits from the wine. And so in these high spirits, he orders his servants to bring his wife, Queen Vashti, to walk before the men. And again, here, I think, his motive is to impress. So he's just spent six months showing off his possessions, his wealth, his palace, his jewels and goblets. Now he wants to show off his ultimate possession, his wife. And verse 11 of Esther chapter 1 tells us that Xerxes ordered Vashti to come before them wearing her royal crown. And some of the commentaries that I read actually suggested that what this meant was that she was to wear nothing but her royal crown. And actually, there's pretty widespread agreement amongst commentators that basically Xerxes was asking her to parade around scantily clad in front of a party of hundreds of drunk men. But Queen Vashti was a self-respecting woman, and she said no. She refused to obey the king's commands. And the king was furious, and he burned with anger. Um, She had embarrassed him and made him look weak at a time when he was trying to show how powerful he was. And so Xerxes consults with his advisors, and in his anger, he wants to know what he should do to Queen Vashti. And listen to what they say. They say, for the queen's conduct will become known to all the women So they will despise their husbands, and they'll say, King Xerxes commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. And so these advisors tell the king that he should make an example of her to teach all women a lesson. Otherwise, all women might start standing up to their husbands, and then where would they be? So as a result of this advice, the queen is banished. She's sent away, and we actually don't hear anything more about what happens to her. That's the end of her story as far as the Bible is concerned. But what we do know is that for a woman in that society to have been sent away by her husband means that she would have lost everything. She would have lost her home, her position in society. She would have been poor and destitute. She possibly would even have turned to prostitution. And all of this has been done to Vashti deliberately to subjugate women throughout the empire and to reinforce to them that their position is as the property of their husbands. And this is what the advisors say. This is as explicit as it is. They say, when the king's edict about Queen Vashti is proclaimed throughout his vast realm, all of the women will will respect their husbands from the least to the greatest. Wow. (laughs) So already the story is not sounding to me that much like a Disney fairy tale. I'm sorry to say that Xerxes is no Disney prince. So I doubt that he is slim and handsome because he's just been eating and drinking for six months straight. He's also drunk. He treated his wife as property, wanting to parade and humiliate her in front of drunk men. And he was so insecure that when she refused to submit to what was really quite an unreasonable demand. He banished her to a life of suffering. And also, he surrounded himself with these advisors, and they pop pop up again throughout this story, and every time they give him bad advice and he listens. So, he's banished Vashti, 
And as time goes on, King Xerxes calms down a bit from his anger and he starts to miss her. So he kind of wants a new queen. And once again, he goes to his advisors for help. And once again, they give him a great idea. So they suggest that he seeks out beautiful virgins from all around the empire. And then he can choose the one that he likes the most to become queen. So... This is like a beautiful royal beauty pageant, like a Cinderella story, right? Where the winner marries the prince. Maybe not. So what we learn in this story is that as well as his wife, the king already had a harem of women. And now he's sending out orders to round up thousands of teenage girls basically into sex slavery, who are going to spend the rest of their lives being summoned to the king whenever he felt like it. And the unmarried virgins that they're seeking out in those days would likely have been girls in their early teens. And because the empire is so big, to bring them from the far reaches into the city of Susa means taking them thousands of miles away from their families from their cultures, and also destroying any chance that they might have of one day having a home and a family of their own. Now, one of these girls is Esther, and she's a Jewish girl. So there's, Jew there's groups of Jewish people who are living throughout the Persian Empire at this time. They've been there for 100 or so years in exile. And Esther was an orphan, we're told, and she'd been raised by her cousin, Mordecai, Mordecai, as you say here, and when Esther was taken to the palace, Mordecai advised her that she should keep her Jewish nationality a secret. And once they got to the palace, these girls received 12 months of beauty treatments. Now, I know what you're thinking. At first, that sounds amazing. I would love to have 12 months of spa treatments and pampering, but I don't actually think that's what this is talking about. These beauty treatments weren't about making Esther or the other girls feel good about themselves or pampering them. They were all about preparing them for their one night with the king. And they probably would have included things like checking that they were virgins. So after this year of preparations, Esther is sent in to spend the night with a dangerous and unpredictable man. Now the good news is that King Xerxes likes her so much that he makes her the new queen. But considering what happened to the last queen, maybe that isn't such good news after all. And then things get even worse, because the king has a second in command, and his name is Haman. And he hates the Jewish people. So there's an old grudge between his people, the Agagites, and the Jewish people that goes back a long time. And in addition to that, he really hates Mordecai. Esther's cousin. So he decides he wants to kill all of the Jews in Persia. And he manages to persuade Xerxes to sign an edict to wipe them all out in one day of mass genocide. And this is another example of where this king is being persuaded by somebody who's close to him to do something foolish and evil. So, how are we going to get a happy ending from this story? Well, if we stop for a minute and think back to our original Disney fairy tale story narrative that we're used to, at this point in the story, what would we expect to happen? We've had a heroine who's basically been kidnapped by a bad guy, who is in league with the really bad guy that's going to wipe out her family. 
we want the hero to turn up, right? We're waiting for this hero to come and ride in on his white horse and defeat Haman in a big fight scene and save Esther and rescue the people and they all live happily ever after. The narrative that we're used to hearing, that's what would happen. But that's not what happens in this story because this story completely subverts our expectations. And what actually happens is that Esther becomes our hero. And through her brave actions and her clever strategy, she defeats Haman's plot and she saves not only her own life, but the life of her family and all of the Jewish people in exile. And so in this story, Esther starts out as a victim, and I think we can all pretty much agree that she's a victim of some pretty horrifying circumstances, but actually she becomes the hero. Esther is brave, and she's clever. She takes command when the time is right, and she steps up and she risks her own life to save her people. And this turning point, we heard it read to us earlier, comes when Mordecai approaches her and tells her about the peril that her people are in and asks her to to approach the king to plead for them, even though anybody who went to the king without permission could be put to death. And this is probably the most famous part of this story, where Mordecai says to Esther, do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. Then he says, and who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And up to this point in the story, Esther has been passive. To be honest, she hasn't had much of a choice, but other people have made decisions for her. She's had no choice about what happens to her, whether it's Xerxes as the king or Mordecai as her cousin, other people have made the decisions. But now, the time comes for her to be proactive. And interestingly, suddenly, from this point onwards in the story, her roles with Mordecai are reversed. So now she tells him what to do. And he does what she says. So Esther gives Mordecai instructions to gather all of the Jewish people to pray and fast in support of her. And she fasts and prays too. And then Esther says her most famous line in the book. She says, I will go to the king even though it is against the law. And if I die, I die. And we heard when the story was read to us earlier that Esther's brave actions pay off, her cleverness pays off, and um, Haman is hanged on the gallows that he bought for Mordecai, and the Jewish people are saved. It's the happy ending. And actually, to this day, Jewish people celebrate the story of Esther during the festival of Purim, And they remember Esther's name, they remember her deeds, and they celebrate this great story. And it is, it's an epic story. I mean, there's a whole book in the Bible about this. And there's so much stuff that we could talk about from this story this morning. But I just want to talk about two things this morning that I think we can learn from this ancient story that is relevant to our lives here today. And the first one is this, and this might sound super obvious, but the first one is that God's kingdom is not like Xerxes' kingdom. So Xerxes saw people as expendable. As we've seen, he used his position and his power to abuse the weakest and the most vulnerable. We've seen how he treated his wife, 
when she refused to obey, to obey his commands, and we've seen how he caused thousands of young girls to be rounded up to become a part of his harem. And actually, history shows us that boys weren't really treated any better by him either. So approximately 500 boys were gathered and castrated every year to serve as eunuchs in his court. And also, Xerxes thought nothing of giving an order to wipe out an entire ethnic group in a single day. But this is not how God sees people. And God's kingdom could not be more different from the kingdom of Xerxes. Where Xerxes saw people as expendable, God values people and cares passionately about each one. And where Xerxes used his power to exploit the vulnerable, God empowers the powerless. And I think nowhere is this more evident than the very fact that he chose Esther to be the person that saved not only her own life, but her family and all of the Jewish people as well. Because we've already seen from this story how the Persian culture viewed women, basically as sex objects and as possessions of their husbands, but this story reinforces to us that this is not God's view. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, in the first two chapters, when it talks about the creation of human beings, it says, So God created human beings in God's image. In the image of God, he created them. He created them male and female. Both women and men are made in the image of God. The women in this story had little or no control over what happened to their bodies and what happened to their lives or their destinies. But by choosing Esther to be the person that decided not only her destiny, but the destiny of her people, really, really shows us that God's way of seeing people is different from the way that the world sees people. But I think the fact that God chose Esther to save these Jewish people at this time takes on an even bigger significance when we realise who the Jewish people were that were actually in Persia at the time. So there were the 12 tribes of Israel and the two tribes that were still in exile in Persia after the others had returned were the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah. And descended from the tribe of Judah hundreds of years later, was Jesus. So I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Esther's brave actions here, saving the Jewish people, may have led directly to the birth of Jesus. So that's the first thing. God's kingdom is very different from Xerxes' kingdom. And the second thing that I think is really important to, to hear from this story this morning is that if God could use Esther then he can use us. If God can use Esther, then God can use every single one of us here today to make an enormous difference in the world, even if we feel like we are completely powerless. Have any of you ever heard of a guy called Edward Everett Hale? I hadn't heard of him until very recently. But apparently he was a Unitarian minister and he was very active in working towards the abolition of the slave trade. And he said this, and this really struck me when I read it recently. He said, I am only one, but I am still one. 
I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. So my question to us this morning is, what is the something that we can do? Maybe a different something for everybody here, but I'm going to ask two questions this morning for us to think about. The first is, how is our world like Esther's world? And then the second is, what injustices are there in our world that we need to use our position and our influence to stand up against? So how is our world like Esther's world? Well, throughout this story, we have seen that in the Persian culture at this time, women's bodies were treated as the property of men. In this story, Esther and the other girls were powerless to control what happened to their bodies. Now, we might think our society is not like that anymore. We've moved on a long way from there. However, even in our world today, and even in this country, every day people are sold into human trafficking, into sex slavery. And actually, I read recently, and this really shocked me, that the highest incidences of human trafficking in the world occur at the Super Bowl and at the Soccer World Cup. Because tens of thousands of women and children are brought in by human traffickers for use as prostitutes by men who attend these sporting events. Now, it's not something you often hear about, and I found that incredibly shocking. But when we think about it, it's not so different from what happened to the girls in Esther's story. And at the turning point of this story, when Esther says her most famous words, I will go to the king, but if I die, I die. We might listen to those words and think, that's not very relevant to us. It's a bit overdramatic to say that because we live in a democracy, if we go to our leaders and we ask for justice, that, you know, we don't have to be afraid that we might risk our lives. Just over a month ago, a woman named Sandra Bland was stopped by police for failing to signal when she was changing lanes. And like Queen Vashti, she didn't smile nicely for the policeman and she didn't play along with his demands. And we will probably never know what actually happened, but a few days later she was dead. And I don't think it's completely overdramatic to say that sometimes, for some people, even today, even in this country, to stand up and speak out against the injustice that they are experiencing means risking their lives. And at the same time as I was thinking a lot about this story and I was researching for this talk, I came across on Twitter many African Americans who were using the hashtag if I die in police custody to express their response to Sandra Bland's death. There's loads of these and you can read them on Twitter, but I'm just going to read you a couple of them now. If I die in police custody, no, I did everything my mom taught me about how to stay alive if arrested, but it wasn't enough. If I die in police custody, know that they killed me. I would do everything in my power to get home to my family, so never stop questioning. 
If I die in police custody, do not let the memory of me die. Question everything you are told and never believe that I took my own life. Now, of course, we know that we have many really wonderful police officers who serve our communities, who serve this country, who serve this city, people that we love who are a part of our church community here, who have compassion and empathy and want to see safety and peace in our city. However, when I read these, I can't help but be reminded of Esther's words, if I die, I die. Sometimes, in some ways, I think our world can be shockingly similar to Esther's world. But the beauty of the story of Esther, and the reason that I love it, the reason it's one of my favourite stories in the whole Bible, is that actually this story empowers all of us to make a difference in the world. And if you think about it, Esther was an orphan, she was a foreigner. She was a religious and racial minority. She was a woman in a culture that didn't value women. Her people had been brought to that country as slaves and remained there as refugees. And she was a victim of sex trafficking, married to a cruel and powerful man. Yet God chose her to save not only the Jewish people, but ultimately, through Jesus, the whole of humanity. And that's pretty amazing. And I think the beauty of the story of Esther is that it shows us that however weak or powerless or scared or unqualified we feel, God can use us to change the world. So as we move into communion in a couple of moments, I'd just like us all to ask ourselves this question. What position have you come to for such a time as this? So maybe in your workplace or in your family, in your relationships or in your community, you might feel like you've been put in a position of responsibility or a role that you didn't actually really ask for, that you never really wanted. Or you might feel like you're completely powerless in your life and other people are just making all of the decisions for you. Be like self-respecting Queen Vashti, who stood up against an abuse of power and said, no, I will not let you treat me like this anymore. Be like Esther, who used her position and her influence to speak up for people that were unable to speak for themselves. And be like the Jewish people who prayed and who fasted and who stood with Esther and supported her and empowered her to risk her life to stand against injustice. So I encourage all of us today to ask God to give us the courage to do the thing that he is calling us to do. And this thing will probably be different for each of us, but God can empower everyone. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the story of Esther. We thank you for this story that is in the Bible that shows us the way that you see people and that it's different from the way the world sees people. And God, today, we thank you 
that you choose each one of us, that you love us, that you empower us. And we ask that you would meet with us by your Holy Spirit and equip us for the things that you are calling us to do. That we would stand for peace and we would stand for justice and we would bring change into this world and into the lives of the people that we love. Amen.